Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Wayne. Um, it's wonderful to have you with us this morning, especially if you're a guest here. Um, I'm one of the, uh, the clergy, one of the vicars um, at B&A. Our reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 10. Then you can look it up on your phones. If you've got it on your phones, there are Bibles around on the floor under the chairs, um, and it's on the screen. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram, I'm going to refer to him as Abram when I preach, just because that's who he becomes. And it's kind of, anyway, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a beautiful woman, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarai, and so Pharaoh summoned Abram, "'What have you done to me?' he said. "'Why didn't you tell me she was your wife?' Why did you say, she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So just a quick recap. Um, so Abram has, uh, chapter 12, Abram has been um, called, uh, and God has said, I need you to go to this land, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. Uh, and you will be a blessing. And in faith, he's stepped up and he's moved. Uh, and what happens is the first thing that happens when he gets to this place is he discovers a, a famine. Um, how are you when things go wrong? Maybe um, it'd be all sorts of things. You, maybe you had great plans. Um, I don't want to think back to your Christmases, but you know, um, when things don't go according to plan, whether it was um, rest that you were going to have over Christmas, but, you know, are things that are exciting you, or when you see God at work, and then something happens, um, sometimes it can be delay and a distraction, but actually sometimes, quite often, something happens that, that actually causes a massive disruption to that thing that you were very excited about, and potential destruction. Last week, um, we had the mayor of Bristol here, and it was, it was an amazing morning, and a, a lot of us responded in prayer to say that actually God was speaking to us about a calling on our lives to be a blessing and to make a difference. And what I know from the scriptures, from church history, from, uh, and from being a vicar for a few years, is that quite often when God speaks and when we act, that actually his call will not go uncontested. That, that, that call will not go uncontested, and that stuff will happen uh, to delay, distract, disrupt, and potentially destroy what we felt God was calling us into. How you and I respond in those situations? How are you when that happens? What thoughts arise? What feelings bubble up? What steps do you normally take? How we react says an awful lot about us. Abraham finds himself in one of those situations. He's heard God's call. He's heard God's wonderful plan. He's stepped out in faith. And now things aren't going quite as they should. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a kind of contesting of what he was stepping into. Famine in the land. 
He's got a household to protect and a promise from God to steward. What will he do? I think there's things that we can, of course I'm going to say that. I think there's things that we can learn from this passage. And here they are. Uh, the first one is, is this. Uh, I'll get this from verse 10. Um, don't let circumstances take charge. Don't let circumstances take charge. Put it simply, if we let the circumstances of our life take charge about what we're going to do and how we're going to do things, we can open ourselves up to a big mistake. Verse 10, there's a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. So he needs to protect his household. Egypt is a land of plenty. It's got a river, and either side of the river, there's a lot of food that grows there. And it takes a lot of um, famine to stop that river flowing. And so actually, it's a very normal thing to do. The text is actually kind of neutral as to whether or not this is a good or a bad thing. But actually, he's going to go to Egypt. uh, And and then the the key is for a while. Some older translations use the word um, sojourn. He plans to go to the place of plenty, leaving the promised land, but leaving the place of famine just for a while. Then he'll get back on track. But I wonder what happens when you do that for just a while and you end up forgetting about the main thing. Something comes into your life that's just for a while. Um, could be pressure at work. could be ill health. could be stress. It uh, could be mental health. could be a stage of life. Um, what I've learned about stages of life uh, is that the young kid's stage becomes the middle-aged kid stage becomes the teenage kid stage and so basically i just think i just move from one stage to the other the one you know when this stage ends don't you worry another one is coming along um, what happens if if i make that that the main thing and i forget about the bigger picture i used to play hockey and i was a left back apparently i was okay at it and the major job of the left back is to stop the right wing okay um, and but that's not the only thing the left back has to do. Um, the, the teams, the last couple of teams I played for, were, were, we, we, kind of couple, we played quite a, a bit like Liverpool play um, football. And so actually the left back and the right back were quite attacking positions. And so if the left back just focused on the right wing and stopping the right wing all game, actually they, you would forget the bigger picture. You would forget the role that you had going forward. You would forget that actually the goal was to win the match as a team, not just stop the right back. And there are times in my life where I once played against a South African international, and I was quite nervous. And I, uh, the phrase, I put him in my back pocket for all of 80 minutes, didn't get a look in. Um, and actually, I must confess, there was a moment in the game we drew where I thought, I don't mind if we lose, because actually, I've, I've, I've beaten this guy. But actually, the bigger picture is for the team to win. Not, you know, we could have lost 3-0, and I could come off the pitch going, ha, but the right wing didn't have a good game, does it? And I wonder how many of us in our lives find ourselves in situations where something happens, circumstances happen, and we think, for a while, I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to sojourn here. Um, it happens to me, uh, sometimes for a long time, sometimes for the duration of whatever event or whatever stress it is, sometimes even just for a day. Usually with me, actually, it's an emotional response to, uh, to external circumstances. But what I do recognize is, is, is two things. One is I kind of take my eyes off the bigger picture, even though I know the bigger picture is there. Uh, and so, um, and, and that thing, I just, I just settle down in the problem, and the problem becomes the major thing in my life. Or I settle down in how I'm feeling about something, and how I'm feeling about it becomes the major thing. And I might know the other stuff, 
But actually, I've chosen to settle there. And I need to get out of it. What I've learned is, um, two, just quickly in terms of if, if you're somebody who sojourns places, settles down for a while, uh, and you recognize it not as a healthy thing, um, I think the two things that, that help one step out of it are, number one, other people. So actually, uh, we need to not, you know, we, we need other people to speak into our lives and to help us. And secondly, actually getting involved in the bigger picture. Um, so uh, there was a time, uh, just picking one thing at, uh, at random, um, uh, I, had a, I had a day where I basically, I couldn't, I basically I couldn't switch off. I, said, I couldn't switch off a, um, a kind of a black emotion, as it were. And I just basically, nothing bothered me all day. I was just, um, and, and my wife was amazing in that um, she forced something into my diary that I would have said no to if I had my own choice. And it was about actually, uh, it, it was about spending time with people. And in spending that time with those people, it was about engaging in what God is doing. It wasn't, you know, it was actually, it was what we would call in church, the technical term is ministry. But it was actually spending some time with people chatting and praying with them. And getting involved in the bigger picture of what God is doing. And actually, my wife's challenge to me and my wife's kind of making me step into that broke that. Now, there are times in my life where there have been longer periods or whatever, and that's different. But in that moment, just that kind of, that somebody speaking to me and that somebody stepping me, forcing me into the bigger picture, stopped me sojourning in where I was. I wonder if any of us here this morning are sojourning. We're letting circumstances take charge, and the phrase, for a while, for a season, when it ends, then I will describes us. It might be okay to go to Egypt for a time, but actually when he went, Abraham needed to be about the big picture, not about himself. The second thing we learn from the text is, is not to let our emotions take charge. So uh, verse 11, as he's about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are, dot, dot, dot. Actually, um, the major problem that um, Abraham suffers from this reading is, is fear that leads to deceit. So as he's about to enter into Egypt, fear kicks in and he makes a plan. He knows what's going to happen because he's a man in his culture. So we probably don't understand this. But actually, he'll turn up with this um, beautiful uh, wife. And, and he thinks that Pharaoh and his household will have a look at her and go, Ooh, Pharaoh would like, I wouldn't mind her in my household. I'll have, her, thank you. I'll have her for myself. Thank you very much. And how would it have worked in that culture is if they were married, Pharaoh would have seen to it uh, that Abraham was no longer living. And King David does the same hundreds of years later um, with a man called Uriah. If I can remove the husband, she can become my wife. Abraham knows this could happen, so he's got an idea. Um, and, and actually, there is, they were slightly related. Let's say you're my sister. Um, there is no father, so therefore, in a, in, in a paternalistic society, and hierarchical that way, I'm, I'm now in charge of her in that kind of sense. And so if Pharaoh wants you, he'll have to go into negotiations with me. And he's probably thinking, I can delay these negotiations for as long as it takes, and then we can get out of here. Or he's probably thinking, I can get what I can out of this. But his whole thing is he's putting himself in a position of potential safety and security um, not really thinking about the risk he's putting his wife in or the promise that God has put him on because he's, he's letting his fear run him. But, but actually, he knows, he thinks he knows what's going to happen, so he makes a plan. <clears throat> Somebody, lots of people say this, fear is, how do you spell fear? False expectations appearing real. 
You ever had that? You know, if I was doing a, like if I was a motivational speaker at your work, I'd say, fear, false expectations appearing real. But we do it all the time, don't we? Where we think something's going to happen, so then we plan for what's going to happen, and then when it doesn't happen, things can get a little bit wrong and messy. So um, I had a friend who uh, was a member of a very large church uh, somewhere else in the country and was walking uh, across their city, across a kind of a park in their city one day, and they saw the vicar of their very large church running towards them. Now, they knew the vicar just to say hello to, because in like a really big community of like over a 1,000 people, you might, you might not know your clergy in a kind of, you might just say hi. Um, and and so, so they saw this person coming to me, you know, a, a sort of a generation, half a generation older than them, so an older, wiser man, running towards them, um, uh, head to toe in lycra, and they kind of panicked. And they thought, oh, no, he's going to say hello because he's a friendly man. And, and they were, they quite, my friend was a little bit nervous. So, oh, no. And, and so said... Um, He's going to come up, and he's going to say hello, and I'm going to have to say hello back. And then, they say, and then he's going to say, what a lovely day it is, and I will reply. And so as they, as they approached him, and he's running towards them, he's going to say hello, I will say hello, he will say what a lovely day, and then I will reply. He will say hello, I will say hello, he will say a lovely day, and then I will reply. And so he came up, stopped, hands on his hips, like mid-run, going, this is a terrible sight, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, false expectations appearing real. And sometimes um, in real life, we actually have real things that we really worry about. And then actually when we, how often has somebody said it wasn't as bad as you thought? This is what's going on. He's got this false expectation. He's scared and he makes a plan. In doing so and in letting fear rule his life, he has forgotten the call of God. He has forgotten the goodness of God. And he's forgotten the power of God to protect him in Egypt. Jesus says, perfect love casts out all fear. Some of us let fear, not perfect love, rule our lives. We let fear, not perfect love, rule our lives. And interestingly enough, things are worse than he thought. He thought, I can put myself into a position of um, strength and that Pharaoh's household will have to come and negotiate with me. Instead, because Pharaoh is Pharaoh, Pharaoh's just like, somebody goes to Pharaoh and goes, there's this new girl in town, she's pr- really pretty. Pharaoh goes, I'll have her, thank you very much. So, so it, there's, no, there's no sense of negotiations going on. Uh, and what's really interesting is the one who has been called to be a blessing... He ends up getting all this stuff. Um, it says that he's given, uh, he, he treated Abram well for her sake, and he gets sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys. And here's interesting, as we roll on in the text, we're going to meet somebody called Hagar, who is an Egyptian servant, male and female servants and camels. And so, so Abram is receiving all this stuff, but actually he's, he's forgetting the call that he was called to be a blessing, and he's, put, and he's putting at risk what God has promised. He needed not to let his emotions take charge and let fear rule what he did. The solution here is back that perfect love casts out all fear. If I am somebody, this is back to this one we daily pray, if I am somebody who chooses to lean into the goodness of God and the love of God and to receive it in worship and in reading the word and in prayer, that love it fills me up. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit and go on being filled with the Spirit. That love drives out fear. That love drives out fear. Some of us are letting fear rule our lives. Some of us are 
settling somewhere for a while. Some of us let fear rule our lives. Now, if this was um, a talk at your work, uh, you know, don't let your circumstances take charge, don't let emotions take charge, bang, off you go. But this is a gospel talk, and this recognizes that actually left to our own devices, we will let circumstances take charge, and we will let our emotions take charge because, because we're trapped. Um, the Bible calls it sin, and this is one of the outworkings of sin. Sin sometimes works itself out in, in, in wanton, um, you know, uh, behavior that is definitely against God's ways. Other ways it works itself out is in just in the fragile nature of what it is to be a human being. And I think that's what's going on here. It, in fragility, in fragility, circumstances and emotions are taking charge. But because we believe in the gospel, we know that God will have a solution. God will have a solution. Verse 17, it's an interesting one. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Uh, and so then we get what happens out there, which is Pharaoh summons him and says, what has gone on? And, and then, interesting enough, expels him. Uh, and, and so if we don't let circumstances take charge and we don't let emotions take charge, I want to submit that letting God take charge is a good idea. What emerges here is a big theme in the Old Testament, uh, um, which we've already seen and we will see again and again and again, which is when God calls us into something and makes a a covenant and an agreement and a promise with us. Um, will, will we, will the people of Israel be able to keep their end of the bargain? The answer again and again is no. Will God keep his side of the bargain? The answer consistently is yes. Where Abraham fails to be a man of grace and a man of the promise and a man who brings blessing, God steps in. Now, it's a little bit strange because God sends a plague. But actually, interestingly enough, the writers don't really focus to- so much on that. But there's, I think God needs to get someone's attention. Abraham clearly isn't listening. And so it's Pharaoh's attention he gets. And what most people presume is that the whole household is struck down and Sarah isn't. Which, interestingly enough, this whole thing prefaces the Exodus story where the plagues strike Egypt but never the land of Goshen where the Israelites live. So this throws us forward as well in the text um, to the Exodus story. Uh, and that Pharaoh is a man who's listening. This Pharaoh, interestingly enough, is a man who's listening and so then goes, what's going on here? So he goes to Abraham and says, what is happening? And so Pharaoh is God's agent here for his promise to Abraham to, 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 to be preserved. Abraham has, has acted to preserve himself God is now acting to preserve others and his promise. Abraham has acted to preserve himself. God is acting to preserve for the sake and preservation of others and his promise. And of course, we see this most brilliantly in the cross. When actually Jesus comes and takes the plague upon himself that we deserve acts not in his own interests, but in ours, so that we can receive the blessing that is his as the second person of the Trinity, that we can be restored into a relationship with God uh, and, and that we can let him take charge of our lives, the good, good Father. And we, his church, are called to live in that truth. The people who have received the goodness of God the people who know that at the cross God has acted decisively for us to set us free. 
that he has at Pentecost poured out his spirit to fill us with his love. To give us wisdom no matter what circumstances throw at us. And he calls us to live for our world in the same way. We had Marvin here last week and our city needs to see God's church living not under circumstances, not under emotions, but under his goodness and his wisdom and in his strength. As I said, nothing that God wants to bring into being will be uncontested because we live in a world where there is an enemy. Last week, there was a mass, it was so amazing, there was a powerful response to Marvin. If you're somebody who heard from God last week and you responded, how are you stewarding that? What is God saying to you about it? Will you trust him with it? I want to tell you definitely that with whatever you step forward with, whatever you think God's calling, in, calling into being, that things will not go according to plan. Uh, circumstances will arise that you just didn't foresee happening. Emotions will bubble up in you and from all sorts of places. And in those moments, you're going to want to run to Egypt and you're going to want to plan out of fear. But what we know is that God is here. We don't have to wait for him to send a plague on Pharaoh's house. He is here. And he wants us to know that he is with us and in us as we go into those circumstances and as those emotions arise. And he wants us to turn to him as our first port of call, always. And not wait for him to kind of ride in and rescue us at the end. Whatever God calls into being, he will work to secure. He chooses to use us, and so therefore he chooses to equip us. He is always at work. We can trust him. Amen.